It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. Appropriately enough, I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is good to join you. It is February the 23rd, 2018, and um, I'm glad to be here with you because last week, uh, I don't know what happened, but, um, you know, sometimes you got to just say, well, uh, Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and of course, the corollary at the worst possible moment. So for some reason, I lost my connection to the internet, but hopefully you are hearing me today. Uh, And I have to tell you that one of uh, the listeners emailed me and said, Mike, I hope you weren't talking to yourself for an hour. And and I got to tell you folks that if I only talk to myself for an hour a week, I'm doing okay because the world has gone nuts. And I suspect that you are all in agreement with me about that. So, uh, again, thank you for joining me. Thank you for hanging in there. Sorry about last week, but here we are. And here we are indeed. Uh, You know, once again, senseless tragedy struck, uh, that mass killing in in, uh, Parkland. Uh, And, you know, it breaks your heart to see this sort of thing happen. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, humans are far from perfect. There are a lot of crazy people out there among us, as you probably know. Um, You know, I I used to have a a partner who had a very interesting sense of humor, partner at work. Uh, He was also an immigration agent. And, you know, the more search warrants that we executed, the more people that we interviewed and interrogated, the more you realize that most of the crazies were not locked up in padded cells. And my partner's famous way of saying it was, I don't know what the color of the sky is in this guy's world, but sure as hell, it's not blue. And so once again, uh, mental illness um, and a whole cascade of issues, the lives of 17 uh, amazing kids, some incredible teachers who tried desperately to shield them from the madness, from the violence. And so once again, uh, America is um, looking at this whole business about firearms and violence and I, I want to share my thoughts with you, but I I also want to start out by asking that all of you check out the websites where I write regularly, very proud to be writing for um, Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. We're going to be discussing a couple of my articles that I wrote uh, within the past couple of weeks, so that's a terrific website. It's sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Very proud to uh, be working for them as a columnist. I've been doing this now for several years. They provide a great outlet to some truly remarkable writers. I'm uh, very happy to be one of them. Uh, not that I'm claiming to be remarkable, but the other folks really do a phenomenal job. I also uh, contribute to Newsmax uh, on Newsmax TV, Newsmax opinion pieces. I have a piece out on Newsmax um, that we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, and finally, I write for the social contract. So um, places where I'm getting my voice heard, I was recently on with Joe Piscopo, formerly of Saturday Night Live. I think Joe was with the original cast or came in early on. Uh, He has a radio show in New York. Uh, Really a privilege to have been on his program to talk about DACA, Deferred Action, Childhood Arrivals, and it all kind of weaves together. But I feel compelled, and of course, my own website is michaelcutler.net. So if you're not familiar with it, please go to my website, because you'll find links to everything there, michaelcutler.net. What I found astonishing, and it was a bit disturbing, 
was not that the media interviewed the, the children who wanted to be interviewed about their experiences. You know, people react differently to severe trauma. Some people want to crawl up in the fetal position and, and, and go hide in the corner. Other people feel that they need to speak about it and get it out. Uh, nobody is the same. We're, we're all, um, you know, human beings, but as human beings, there's such diversity in the way that we react to tragedies, the way we react to everything. Uh, that's why one size does not fit all. Um, but the idea of asking kids, what they think needs to be done to keep them safe. Uh, goodness, they, they seem like very bright, intelligent, articulate kids. I was very, very impressed with them. Uh, the kids who stepped forward, I, I want to believe that they will be our leaders in the future. And if that's the case, then I, I would say that we're going to have some great leaders. But what in the world does a 16- or 17-year-old kid know about public safety, strategy, firearm security, these are heavy issues. And even the so-called experts are of mixed opinion as to where we go from here. So it's one thing to interview the kids so they can talk about what they felt and how it impacted them. Um, if they wanted to have a quick thought about was there something deficient in the school that they observed where they couldn't get out or information wasn't conveyed, certainly that needs to be taken into account because they were there and only they would know what was exactly happening inside the school when the bloodshed took place. So if you want to interview them and say, well, were there exits you couldn't get out of? Did they communicate the threat to you properly? That's fine. But when we start having kids marching and demanding gun control as the solution to a crazed gunman, then we've lost our minds. I have to say this, and maybe I'm going to upset people and I'm, I don't like upsetting people, but you also, if you know me for any length of time, know that I'm not afraid to upset people. Sometimes we have to upset people because we don't all think the same way. And I spent 30 years in law enforcement. And my first thought was, how did this guy gain access to the school? Maybe every school should have metal detectors. Every school should have doors that are backed up by security folks so that you don't just stroll into a school with a backpack and a gun in it. I, I know the high school that my kids went to here in New York City had a metal detector, and you did not get in with, or, or at least a wanding system. So there was no way you were getting into the school without being wanded or, or some procedure was in place to make certain that you didn't have a firearm. So that, to me, is, is, is the first issue. How did they get into the school? And, and, you know, there's going to be parallels in this discussion with terrorists. Because one of the issues that the 9-11 Commission addressed, and I provided testimony to the commission, was how did the terrorists get into the United States? So think of the parallels. This was not a traditional terror attack, but for all intents and purposes, let's analyze what happened in Parkland with terrorists. First line of protection for America are its borders. For the school, the first line of protection were those doors. That this guy, this looney tune, could stroll into that school and then leave with the kids. I mean, think about a discombobulated security system where this guy, and that's why they had the kids coming out with their hands up, because they knew that there was a good chance that the shooter might have joined the exiting kids. The people that took the lives was going to leave looking like a kid. And guess what? From all reports, that is precisely what happened. It's the way we're looking at refugees flowing into Europe, and among the refugees running from their lives are the people they're running from. Think about the irony to that. Embedded within those kids was the shooter. Embedded within refugees are the people that the refugees are fleeing from. This isn't a profound statement. It's just reality. So what the police did was to have the kids, as they exited the school, hold their hands up, to show they weren't armed. And that's why they had them leave their backpacks. If you saw what happened as they came out of the school, they had everybody put their backpacks to make sure that there wasn't a gun in the backpacks. So that part of it went well. But understand that this guy embedded himself the way that terrorists embed themselves within the refugees, the way that the 9-11 hijackers embedded themselves within the airline passengers boarding those airplanes on 9-11. The parallels are striking, 
and they're not inconsequential. These are important issues that nobody's talking about in the mainstream media. Stop, folks, and think about it. Have you heard anybody on any of the programs that you've listened with all the coverage? It's been 24-7. Have you heard anybody drawing those parallels? Isn't it a reasonable parallel? Because this is all about protecting human lives from people who have absolutely no consideration, no compassion, no care. Want to kill people. This, this whack-a-loon, whatever you want to call them, I, I'm, I'm not going to use the words that, that are screaming in my head to escape. He went to the school knowing that by the time he was done, people would be dead. Young people would be dead. He was going to kill them. The terrorists got on board the airplane knowing they were going to give up their own lives to kill an airplane filled with passengers and people who would die when the airplanes used as cruise missiles were going to slam into buildings. The parallels are striking, but nobody's talking about the parallels, and there's more parallels to follow. Um, So now we're being told, well, obviously the problem is the gun. The gun is the problem. If the guy didn't have a gun... Well, tell that to the families of the eight people who were mowed down on the west side of New York City just a couple of months ago. Um, They were riding bikes, jogging, whatever they were doing during that stretch of real estate, some of the most magnificent real estate in the world, as far as I'm concerned. I love New York. Um, 9-11 for me, uh, it brings me to tears still. My country was attacked and my hometown was attacked. And we had people out bike riding and jogging getting mowed down by a truck. So if this wackaloon couldn't get his hands on guns, he might have used knives, he might have used explosives, he might have used a truck. God knows what he would have used. Anybody who wants to take a life can use anything as a weapon. You know, you could hit somebody over the head with a frying pan and kill them, for God's sakes. Anything can become a potential murder weapon in the hands of a determined psychopath or sociopath or terrorist or a dirtbag. All right. So we're going to blame the guns as though the guns jumped up or the gun jumped up and shot people. And then the debate needs to be serious that we have about these issues. And they must, must, must be fact based. And they're not. And they're not. How many people still think that AR-15, the AR stands for assault rifle? It doesn't. It's the initials of the manufacturer. But everyone calls them a war weapon. It's a killing machine. There was a guy that came on CBS radio here in New York City, AM 880. It was with regularity that rivaled the the weather report or the traffic report. You know, every 10 minutes, well, it seemed as though twice every half hour, so four times an hour, this guy came on claiming to be a gun expert and claiming that bullets that came out of AR-15s or or AK-47s tumble as soon as they come out of the barrel so they don't just kill you but they slice you to ribbons before you die and it's against the geneva accord because those guns were specifically designed to fire bullets that tumble i want you to stop and understand this um i'm not a firearms expert but i had some of the finest firearms training you could imagine as a federal agent unlike local police departments that require that their people qualify every year many departments make it an annual qualification i had to qualify every 90 days and the instruction was extensive and so i feel somewhat comfortable talking about guns from that angle i also began my education uh, as a pre-engineering student i didn't go on to go to engineering uh, to to graduate with a degree in engineering but i'm a science guy Um, and my kids are engineers two of them so i'm familiar with science and anybody who knows anything about long guns or even handguns know that if you look down the barrel, uh, and be careful not do it with a loaded gun if you're going to check this out, please, goodness gracious. But if you look down the barrel of a weapon, you know, you really have to tell that to the politicians because some of them are dumb enough. Well, maybe that wouldn't be a bad idea on second thought. God, I, I can just see the, the comments I'm going to get from that remark. Uh, seriously, folks, guns, are, you don't mess with them. But if you look down the rifling of a gun, uh, or if you look down the barrel of a gun, you'll see what's known as rifling. And that's the swirls that are carved into the gun, kind of like a corkscrew. And if you think about the James Bond beginning, and they've been doing it since James Bond has been on the air, 
they always show Bond in that he's walking along and he swivels around and fires around and, and then they start the intro. <clears throat> but if you remember, there's always this corkscrew circle around him as he does that. That's known as rifling. And the reason that that is cut into a gun barrel, whether it's a handgun or a long gun, is to force the bullet to spin as it exits the barrel. The reason they want the bullet to spin is for the same reason that a football player throws the pass by making the football spiral. If the football can spiral along its longitudinal, the long axis, and it spins, <clears throat> there's a gyroscopic effect that stabilizes, excuse me, that stabilizes the football. So, and, and the same thing happens with the bullet. By forcing the, the bullet to spin as it exits the barrel, it's stabilized by gyroscopic action. The idea of the spinning gives it stability. And, in fact, that's how a gyroscope works. And I know this is probably well beyond most of your memories, but back in 19, um, goodness, 1958, January 1958, when America launched its first satellite, Explorer 1, they spun up the Explorer satellite for the same reason. It was a very primitive satellite. So the way that they uh, gave it stability was to spin it before launch. So when it orbited the Earth, <clears throat> it, was, it would stay in the same attitude with relation to the Earth. Spinning something gives it stability. Bullets that emerge from those long guns, AK-47s, AR-15s, all those guns have rifling exactly that purpose, to get the bullet to spin. And if you go do some research, you will find out <clears throat> that for hundreds of yards, 300 yards at least, possibly as much as 600 yards, those bullets will travel nose first, very stable because it's spinning. And the only time that it may tumble is when it goes subsonic. When it drops below the speed of sound, there's a shock wave that hits the bullet, and then it upsets the equilibrium of the bullet in flight. So that bullet will travel, according to the pieces that I've read on it, because I did a little bit of digging around, <clears throat> the bullet will travel at least 300 yards before it starts to tumble. Now, that doesn't mean it's not lethal. It doesn't mean anything, except when you have somebody go on a very recognized, and in the minds of most people, I guess, who knows, a credible source of information, supposedly, and they repeatedly had this guy come on, ranting, raving, and railing about how this particular gun that the shooter was carrying has bullets that emerge, and they are tumbling from the moment they're out of the barrel. And so they not only kill people, but they make you suffer. Dead is dead. But the emotional image that this guy conjured up of a tumbling bullet that violated the Geneva Accords was a flat-out, 100% BS lie. Let's have some honesty in the conversation. You know, there are points to be made from all perspectives. And if we're intelligent about it, then we should be willing to listen. And I'm compelled, as I say this to you, to give you some food for thought. I don't want to dwell on it, but I think it's an important issue. Full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. I have a problem voting for Democrats. I can't think of the last time I did because I think the wheels have come off their wagon, but I don't know that the Republicans are much better. But when I see people responding to articles that I write, and there's always these comments, and people use terms like libertards and uh, democrats and all this other nonsense. And I've seen other language from the other side about conservatives. It's both sides throwing bricks at each other. This isn't what the First Amendment is supposed to be about, folks. Your neighbors who agree with you, many of them, mean well. They're well-intentioned, but they're uninformed or ill-informed by a news media that has lost its moral compass. And if you listen to the news reports and believe them, then you're being misled. And I really think that if a bunch of Americans, I think CBS did something similar to the story on 60 Minutes, if you put a bunch of Americans in the same room of all political persuasions and just had an honest conversation without the insult and asked them what their goals are, as Americans, we pretty much want the same thing. And this doesn't have, and again, as I've spoken about this many times, Latino voter, black voter, Jewish voter, Christian voter, baloney. It's racism, by the way. That's bigotry. Rational Americans want three basic things from their government. Three basic things. 
They want the military to keep us safe. They want the police to keep us safe locally. They want the schools to educate our kids. And they want to know that anybody willing to study hard, work hard, and maybe benefit from a little bit of good luck can write the next great American success story. That's what Americans want. But the immigration issue is, is a hot issue. A lot of emotion has been poured into it by people who stand to profit by importing and exploiting cheap foreign labor. There's nothing compassionate about it. They've been misled to believe it's compassionate. It isn't. The misuse of language isn't about political correctness. It's Orwellian to confound any real understandings of the issues. But we've got to stop throwing bricks at each other as Americans. And do you really think that people who vote as Democrats give a damn about Democrat votes? The politicians do. They're the problem, not the citizens. If you're angry at the politicians, I'm with you. I get frustrated with dumb Americans who don't want to take the time to educate themselves or consider that there's other possibilities other than than the orthodoxy of their own belief. And this goes for left or right. We're not always right. I was going to teach debate on the college level. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. Debate is intellectual capitalism. The sad thing is that you have a lot of people putting their fingers on the scale to throw the balance off so that people don't know what the truth is. And and people think that when a guy comes out and they put PhD after his name, that he's suddenly believable, credible, and honest. There's a lot of crooked PhDs. There's a lot of crooked everybody's, and there's a lot of decent people who have PhDs. You have to look at your source of information and get second and third opinions. When we don't feel well, we go to another doctor to make sure that the first doctor didn't misdiagnose what's wrong, especially if they tell you you need surgery. America is sick. America is ailing. We need second and third opinions. But the opinions need to be provided by true subject matter experts, not Nimrod, who will do what's politically expedient because they're being paid off. As Americans, we have freedom of speech. It's being taken from us. And if ever you want to look at Russian influence, look at college campuses. Look at the way that the First Amendment has been shredded. We lost the Fourth Amendment to to 9-11. I mean, think about it. Try to get on an airplane, park your car in a garage in a major building. They're going to search your vehicle. They're going to search you. What happened to the Fourth Amendment? Well, it's about survival. And we could have those debates, and we should on another day, perhaps. But when I'm looking at the First Amendment going down the drain, folks, if you don't have a First Amendment, democracy is not possible. When only one brand of ideology is publicly acceptable, you no longer live in a democracy. You live in a totalitarian state. And if you look at the actions that the Russians apparently have taken, it's to get Americans to fight with one another. And boy, are we doing a good job of that. I am sure that Putin and the other dirtbags over in Russia, over at the KGB, are laughing their tails off. Look at those idiotic Americans fighting with themselves. This is about sowing dissent and discontent. It's a divide-and-conquer strategy. When you disagree with people, let's stop using these god-awful terms. There's no reason for it. Because once you do that, once you do that, civil discourse becomes impossible. That's un-American. There are many people who frustrate me. But darn it, I'm never going to call them those terrible names. Because that's not what America is about. We're better than that. We are truly better than that. We should expect more of ourselves as Americans because we are Americans. And one of the most anti-American things you can do, in my judgment, is to resort to name-calling of a fellow citizen you disagree with. What you're doing is making debate impossible. What you're doing is shredding the First Amendment. Please think of it the next time you get angry and you see an opinion and you're so tempted to use that kind of language. Let the facts speak for themselves. I was furious at this idiot who came on and and, and did this whole thing about the the bullets tumbling and all this other business. So let's look at the facts. Let's not dwell on what kind of a person would make the statement. Let's just defeat the arguments with cold, hard facts. Okay? We can do this with every issue. And that's how you get to win people over, by knowing the facts and applying them effectively, persuasively, logically, rationally dispassionately back in high school and college I never lost a debate Uh, I was a lousy athlete I couldn't play basketball or football if you put a gun to my head 
But the one thing I could do was debate. And that's fine. It's a kind of uh, intellectual um, sport, if you will. And the, the great debaters, um, uh, they refer to it as blood sports. But debate is essential. It's at the crux of democracy. We shut down debate when we start name-calling. Please don't do that. Make your arguments fact-based. Uh, I do this program and I write for all those websites with the hope of providing enough information that you can use as ammunition during debates. But you're not going to be able to debate people when you start insulting them. Just bear that in mind. Let's be better than the people we disagree with. Let them feel foolish for what they do. We should hold ourselves to the highest standard. And the highest standard means that debate should be based on fact. And the facts do speak for themselves. We have these, these youngsters who were traumatized, and they're being asked by reporters, what's the solution? They're marching and demanding an end to guns. This is crazy. Oh, that was an assault weapon. It was a weapon of war. The outcome would not have been much different if the shooter was using a handgun. No one stops to think about it. It's just a way that the anti-gun folks are manipulating these kids. They're shameless. They should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed of themselves. But these people can't be embarrassed because they have an agenda, and the agenda is all that matters to them. To exploit traumatized children is about as disgusting as it gets. But as far as I'm concerned, that's what we were witnessing. We know that terrorists use cars and, and, and trucks motor vehicles to kill people. It happened on the west side of Manhattan. I just talked about it. It's happened throughout Europe. Trucks being used to run people down. Is there anybody who would rationally say, let's do away with motor vehicles? That's the same kind of dopey argument we're getting about the guns. Now, what's interesting is that the president, and most people agree with him, and I agree with him on this, talks about background checks. Don't give guns to terrorists. Don't give guns to criminals. Don't give guns to the crazy people. I agree. So now the big emphasis is on vetting. How in the world do we vet these people? And and I have to tell you, so many people dropped the ball on this case. Uh, There were enough warnings out there that this guy was a problem. There were enough warnings. It wasn't just one irate neighbor who says, yeah, my neighbor Charlie next door is crazy. You know, no one's going to take that seriously. There were articulable facts that were presented to the FBI, to the sheriff's office. There were a lot of people, you know, if you see something, say something. There were a lot of people saying something, but apparently nobody was really listening. And I know that the caseload over at the FBI is quite large. They're overwhelmed. Every law enforcement agency in the United States is overwhelmed. And aren't we fortunate that Mr. Obama let MS-13 into this country? So that just adds to everybody's workload. I started investigating MS-13. 25 years ago when they presented a minuscule threat. The unaccompanied minors flooded America with criminal aliens, gangs, drugs, firearms. I mean, the hypocrisy is mind-boggling. The very administration that opened up the gates, permitting in the gangs and the drugs and the violence and the firearms, uh, it's that party. And remember, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm embarrassed to have to say it. The Democratic Party embarrasses me greatly. Really and truly. Uh, and I have my issues with the Republicans, which is why I haven't switched. But the point of the matter is that when you overwhelm law enforcement, they can't always react to every call that they get. It's kind of like living in a house with a leaky roof and you're running around with a bucket trying to catch all the drops of water before they hit the floor. Believe me, there's lots of droplets falling out of a very soaked ceiling. But someone needs to be made accountable for consistent, continual, ongoing failures. Not just this case, other cases too. We have overwhelmed law enforcement. Sanctuary cities certainly don't help. And so now we have to come back to the immigration comparison. Everyone is demanding better background checks for people that want to buy and possess firearms. And you know what? I agree. I know what I went through to become an agent. I know what I go through when I have to renew my carry permit now that I'm a civilian again. Uh, It's arduous. It's a pain in the neck. 
But if it helps to keep people from getting firearms who shouldn't have them, I'm in complete agreement. But no one is talking about the inability that we have as a country to vet foreign nationals who have no inherent right to enter the country, to enter the country. No one says a word about it. And we have the president saying he wanted to legalize DACA. You had the Democrats saying they want to legalize these DACA aliens. Do you realize how fatally flawed the vetting process for immigration benefits is? And when was the last time you heard any politician get up and say, hey, folks, we've got to secure the Mexican border. This isn't an either or. These are things that must be done. It's not an either or. Okay. We have to be able to rub our belly and pat our head at the same time. This is the United States and lives are on the line and lives have been lost because we didn't do it. Let's learn the lessons. Let's learn the damn lessons. The 9-11 Commission warned that immigration fraud was a key method of entry and embedding, not only for the 9-11 hijackers, but for others. And, you know, we had the story that I wrote about a couple of weeks ago um, about an individual who came to the United States from Saudi Arabia in 2011 as the spouse of a, of a student. His wife had a student visa. And this guy was admitted as the spouse of a, of a foreign student in 2011. In 2016, he registers to fly an airplane. He goes to flight school in Oklahoma. Now, what happens? The fingerprints that he had to take, because after 9-11, we fingerprint people that want flying lessons. The fingerprints came back as relating to a guy who was at the terror training camp in Afghanistan with at least four of the 9-11 hijackers back in 2000. That's the story. It's unbelievable. I wrote about it for Front Page Magazine. Please check it out. By the way, if you like the articles that I write, like, that I write and if you like my radio program, please post it on Facebook, other social media. Get the word up. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth. Um, you know, this is a labor of love for me. There's no commercials on this program. It costs me money to run the program. I don't make money doing this program. It's purely about trying to educate as many of our fellow Americans so that we don't have more 9-11s. I think I'm still probably suffering post-traumatic stress. I don't think anybody who was in New York on 9-11 or at the Pentagon or anywhere near these events uh, is the same. You can't be the same, but we need to learn from our mistakes. My dad said to me, there's no mistake. There's no mistakes in life, only lessons that we learn from what goes wrong. So here we have a guy who was actually in the training camp with at least four of the 9-11 hijackers. They found his application to attend terror training school. Believe it or not, they were that organized. And his father's phone number was on the application and his fingerprints were on the damn application. But somehow in 2011, State Department either didn't know or didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they gave him a visa and he was admitted into the United States. Five years later, he applies to go to flight school and then the bells go off. Ding, 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 ding. Here he is. He just pleaded guilty to committing immigration fraud, visa fraud. So here's the question that I raise in my article. I'm going to give them to you here. Now that we're together, we can have this one-sided conversation. Um, Was he maybe a reformed terrorist and he wanted to put his crazy past behind him? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't interview him. I don't know anything about him. I'm just going by the facts that have been made available. Was he maybe planning to learn to fly an airplane so that he could rent a small plane and use it in some kind of a terror attack in the United States? Not a far-fetched concern given that he did attend terror training camp in Afghanistan and he's a Saudi uh, who trained with other Saudis to come to the United States to kill us. Was he a sleeper agent? We don't hear that term much anymore, do we? Sleeper agent. That's a foreign national who finds a way of entering the country legally or illegally and waits, maintaining a very low profile, doesn't spit on the sidewalk, doesn't get into arguments, doesn't get speeding tickets, They're the model next-door neighbor. They don't play music late at night. They don't get drunk. They're very quiet. They always smile at everybody, and they're waiting for that phone call, the email, or the tap on the shoulder telling them that tomorrow is the day. Was he one of those sleeper agents? I don't know. 
Now, again, it's remarkable that no one talks about sleeper agents or sleeper cells much anymore. We heard a lot about it after 9-11, not so much after Mr. Obama came to office. Could this guy be a sleeper? Don't know. Came here five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was. Uh, I'm not sure what this guy's story is, but certainly it's disconcerting that he attended flight school, obviously lied about that connection on the application for the visa, which was why they declared it to be a case of visa fraud, because he lied about a material fact. It's one of the questions that you're asked, you know. And by the way, this guy ultimately um, gets arrested for, for, for committing those lies. But, but the question that you really need to ask yourself, is it possible, could he possibly be um, a terrorist who was here with other terrorists waiting for the opportunity to carry out another attack just like 9-11? Now, that really goes to the heart of a very big question. Is it possible that this guy is only one of a number of others like him who at this moment are wandering around the United States waiting to put together a plot comparable to 9-11? We don't know that answer, do we? So these are very serious questions. How good was the vetting process that we used when this guy entered the United States 10 years after 9-11? He entered in 2011, 10 years after the attack. And yet the State Department had no idea that this guy trained in Afghanistan with the terrorists? It takes my breath away. But I, I, I wish that that was the only problem that we have. Because, you see, this, this is all about the lies that we're getting. That's why I wrote an article. Again, if you go read it on Front Page Magazine, Immigration Anarchists, Lies Debunked, It's Easiest Child's Play. And, I mean, listen to the lies that we're told and how people don't focus on it. You know, we're going to bring in all these people because they have to work. And if they work, it's so compassionate. Well, if you ever played the game of musical chairs as a kid, you know that there's always one chair fewer than the number of kids playing and as the music stops, you grab a chair who's ever standing leaves along with another chair until you get down to one kid, one chair. That's the winner. What if during the game someone threw open the doors and let in lots more kids but no more chairs? So now the odds of getting seated drop tremendously. You know, there's 100 kids in the room and 30 chairs. Lots of luck, Charlie. But imagine instead of chairs, the chair represents a job. And these aren't really kids. American workers looking for a job and instead of the door to the room it's the borders to the United States how's that for a parallel so we're now flooding America with foreign workers and how much more unlikely now is it for that American to get that chair to get that job it makes no sense and we have so few ICE agents that we're playing another childhood game of hide and seek where the aliens hide and there aren't too many people out there looking for them because we just don't have enough agents and, of course, sanctuary cities exacerbate that problem. So immigration isn't really an issue for the would-be terrorist or criminal or crazy person or guy that, that simply wants to take a job that an American desperately needs to support himself or herself and their family. That's what we're looking at. And that's why when, when people start talking about libertades, if you sit down rationally and say to some American, hey, wait a minute, you just spent a fortune on your daughter's education or your son's education, and they want to be engineers or programmers. Do you know that the United States is bringing in more foreign workers and the number of new jobs we're creating? So now that you've run up a student loan that looks more like a mortgage payment, and by the way, student loans are the second greatest form of personal indebtedness in the United States next to mortgages. I don't know if you know that, but it is. By doing this, we're importing competition for ourselves and our children if they want a job. And, you know, labor is a commodity. If you flood the labor market with a commodity, labor, you drive down the value of, of the job, of the labor. So the value of American workers is decreased as you bring in third world workers from third world countries who bring with them third world expectations of wages and working conditions, which is, after all, the goal. That's what Alan Greenspan talked about when he testified to Chuck Schumer on April 30th, 2009, and referred to American highly skilled, that is to say, uh, STEM workers, as the privileged elite earning this wage premium because we shield them from foreign competition. Greenspan said, well, if we stop shielding them, guess what? 
we can get rid of that wage premium and reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. So this headlong dash to flood America with cheap labor is causing us to admit people who aren't properly vetted, aren't properly vetted. You know, what, what's interesting on that account is that we don't know when these people came here, especially the ones who came illegally. Another problem, and this is the article that I wrote most recently, the front page, aliens who didn't register under DACA, lazy or committing fraud. Because if you guys remember, um, the president's chief of staff, John Kelly, former Marine Corps general, and as I said when I was on with Joe Piscopo earlier this week, I'm not attacking John Kelly. I'm not attacking his commitment or service to America. I think he's a good American. But I don't think he knows diddly about immigration. And I don't care that for a while he was Secretary of Homeland Security. That's a political job. He didn't go out and make arrests. I don't know anything about the military, so when people ask me military questions, I don't answer the questions. I'm the wrong guy. Talk to somebody who knows what he's talking about. I sure as hell don't know anything about the military. Okay? I've never been in the Army or any other four branches of the military. I'm not the guy you want to talk to about military. You want to talk about law enforcement? Yeah, I'll be happy to talk about that. You want to talk about immigration, border security, drugs? I'll do that. I spent half my career with the drug task force. I had desks up at the DEA and uh, the FBI as well as ATF. But I, I try to stay within my area of expertise if I'm going to get in front of a microphone or a TV camera. John Kelly knows less than nothing about immigration, in my judgment. Not because he's stupid, not because he's not an intelligent guy. He just never did the job. So when he said that the aliens who didn't come forward were probably lazy or scared, I'm sure some of them fall into those categories. But the one category that he didn't think about, I'm going to guess, is that maybe they just weren't here. And now that they are here, they're going to lie about their date of entry. Maybe they're not even here now and they're waiting to see if we're stupid enough to pass some kind of legalization law for DACA. So they'll come here next year and claim they were here for 20 years. You know, it's remarkable that the president said that there would be 1.8 million such aliens that he would give lawful status to. See, if he limited it to the roughly 700,000 and he had already extended their time in the country, I wouldn't be happy with it. But I could see that as a viable compromise. We've already given them time here. They've been registered. We still haven't done the right background investigations, but we can cope with 700,000. We could whittle that away. And so we're not going to do anything immediately because remember, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, there's a division there, Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, they already have a huge workload. They process more than 6 million applications every year. That's applications for political asylum, for permission to go to schools, for green cards, for citizenship. Six million applications a year. They're they're overflowing with work. This is Lucy at the bonbon factory on steroids. But you can hire some more people. And, you know, you give us a couple of years and we'll work down that that 700,000 and try to figure out who the heck they are. That's fine. I'm comfortable with that. However, we have to get rid of chain migration first so that those 700,000 don't bring in all their brothers, all their sisters, and on and on. So it's got to be done in stages. Stage one is take from them the right they would have today if they were legalized when they become citizens to bring in extended family members. So let's let's do this in proper sequence. You know, ready, aim, fire, not fire, aim, ready. Okay, let's get that right. But when you start to say any alien who would have qualified but did not come forward will now be taken care of, folks, you don't know how deep this barrel is. They warn you when there's flooding, don't drive across a wet street because you don't know how deep the water is. The street might have collapsed, and what you think is pavement will actually be a huge hole that you drive into, never to be seen again. So the president said 1.8 million aliens have come forward, three times what Mr. Obama did. He was very happy with it. I got kind of upset with the president. Um, I doubt that he's listening, but Mr. President, if you're listening, I think it's a bad call. I think you're trying to do the right thing, but I think that's a particularly bad call. Because we don't know what the true numbers are. In fact, the Migration Policy Institute pegs the number at precisely double that, 3.6 million. But we don't know because there is nothing to prevent 5 million aliens from running the border between now and next year, let's say, or whenever, and saying, I was here. I was here. So suddenly 
the 3.6 million becomes 5 million, 6 million. Who knows? It will go on ad nauseum. And all we got to do is get it wrong a couple of times, and we wind up with another 9-11. We wind up with a guy like this guy, the Saudi pilot, who was discovered after he was living here for five years. God only knows what he was doing during those five years. I'd love to know. I'd love to know. I'd love to know where his wife is. I'd love to know if this was a marriage fraud or if they're really legitimately married. I'd love to know what she was doing in the United States since she was married to a guy who went to terror training camp. Does she have any nexus to terrorism? Think of what happened in San Bernardino with the K-1 visa petition, the fiancé petition. There's a lot of questions here, no answers, lots of questions. Questions where lives potentially hang in the balance. And nobody in the mainstream media is asking these questions. Well, what kinds of investigative reporters do they hire at the networks? Because these questions should be common sense. Now, maybe it didn't occur to you, but now that I've raised these questions, if you're sitting there listening to me, where am I being being unreasonable in what I'm asking? Why was this guy admitted? What did he do for the last six years? Who was he affiliated with? Does his wife know that he attended terror training camp? If so, why did she marry him? Did they get married before he went to camp? After? What is she doing? Who are her friends? What kind of studies did she have here in the United States? Lots of questions. I don't see any answers coming. And I have to tell you, as an American and as a retired INS senior agent, these questions keep me awake at night. The war on terror isn't over. No one has sounded the all clear. But it gets even worse than that. I have an article that will be coming out very shortly for Front Page Magazine. And my article for Front Page Magazine gets into a naturalized U.S. citizen. Think of this one who has been sentenced because he's pleaded guilty to providing material support to terrorists. This guy became a United States citizen. Yet another one. We saw it with the Tsarnaev brothers. One of them became a naturalized citizen. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, 2010, was a naturalized citizen. Great job of vetting. We're concerned about who we give guns to. How about who do we give citizenship to? You know, it's interesting because the 9-11 Commission said this. And I want to read this to you. This comes right from the 9-11 Commission report. For terrorists, travel documents are as important as weapons. Terrorists must travel clandestinely to meet, train, plan, case targets, and gain access to attack. To them, international travel presents great danger because they must surface to pass through regulated channels, present themselves to border security officials, or attempt to circumvent inspection points, enter without inspection, what Ms. Pelosi calls entering undocumented, which is a word straight out of the Ministry of Truth. It's a BS term. There is no such animal as entering undocumented. When you run the border, you enter without inspection. You enter without, and what's the magic word for the evening, folks? Vetting. You enter without vetting. And that's who these DACA aliens are. So we don't even know if they're really children. Some of them are. Some of them are caught up in a terrible situation. I've met some of them, and they seem like splendid young people, and I felt terribly for them. But I also met a lot of the family members of 9-11 victims. I feel even worse for them. And I fear that this could happen again. We're living in a dangerous era. We're very fixated right now on school shootings, but we're forgetting about threats that we face from terrorists and from violent gangs. And all of those threats are being exacerbated, not mitigated by sanctuary cities. But what's interesting, as you will see in this article, and I'm hoping it's posted within the next day or two at frontpagemag.com, I'm going to quote something from a Justice Department report, and it was issued on January the 16th of this year. At least 549 individuals were convicted of international terrorism-related charges between 2011, sorry, September 11, 2001, and December 31st, 2016. An analysis conducted by DHS determined that approximately 73% or 402 of these 549 individuals were foreign-born. Now, here's what's interesting. They were foreign-born, but 148 had acquired citizenship 
through naturalization. 148 aliens were naturalized who were subsequently arrested and prosecuted for terrorism-related crimes. What does that tell you about the vetting process that we have for immigration? I agree about vetting people that want guns. How about a good vetting program for aliens? Um, Because clearly that vetting process doesn't work. And they're not telling you how many more aliens are convicted of other crimes or might be fugitives from other countries or maybe have green cards, if not citizenship. The system has so many holes in it that every failure is an opportunity for a terrorist to enter the United States and carry out a deadly attack. This is not a joke, folks. We've got to be consistent. Either we're really and truly concerned or we're not. Either we truly want to protect American lives or we don't. And I will tell you that sanctuary cities don't protect anybody except criminals. That's just a harsh reality. And and so then we have another good one here. And this was on Newsmax. Newsmax published my piece just a couple days ago. Alien gamed the immigration system. Now the U.S. is suing itself. Think of that one, February 20th. So we have a guy who became a naturalized citizen. He was from Bangladesh. And believe it or not, he, was arre- he, was, he entered the United States trying to get in under a false passport. And then he admitted that it really wasn't his name or his passport. You would have thought they would have at least put him in custody because he yelled political asylum. Instead, what did they do? They said, all right, show up later on. We'll give you a hearing date. Have a nice day. And they let him walk out of the airport. So this is, is, this is actually mind-boggling that, that, that something of this magnitude could happen. I mean, stop and think about it. You have a guy who comes in with someone else's passport, yells political asylum. We don't know who this guy is. It's not his passport. And we let him walk. He subsequently files an application to get lawful status or political asylum under yet another name. Both times he's ordered deported by an immigration judge. You think, okay, we're getting rid of him. Well, guess what? He files for U.S. citizenship under a third name and is granted United States citizenship. Can you top that story? I dare you. So we've got an alien deported and ordered deported under two separate names, neither of them his apparently, getting naturalized, getting citizenship, and now the government is turning around and trying to take the citizenship away from him because there was no basis to grant him citizenship. If you want to talk about a dysfunctional system, this is it. I'm not making this up. It's all documented by the U.S. government. Look at the press release. Go to Newsmax and see the article I wrote. Send these articles to your member of Congress. Send these articles to your senators. Send these articles to the White House and say, what in the hell are we doing? And we're talking about legalizing millions of people who snuck into the country, the same screwed up, dysfunctional, inept, incompetent, and wacky agency that gives a guy citizenship even though he's wanted for two separate warrants for deportation, that didn't get in the way. This is as crazy as the day I got the phone call six months to the day after 9-11 when they found out that Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shehi, two of the 9-11 hijackers, and in fact Atta was the damn ringleader, had been given authorization to attend flight school six months after the damn attacks of 9-11. This was March of 2002. The whole world knew that they were terrorists. The whole world knew that they were dead, and good old INS gave them permission to go to flight school, notified the flight school, oh, you've applied for your students? Yeah, they can attend. Rudy Decker was the owner of the flight school. He was so startled by it, he reached out to the government and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? These guys applied months ago. You ignored the application. They're dead. You just gave them permission to go to my flight school? What are you doing? It led to a hearing. I was one of the four witnesses called to that hearing. You can still see the hearing, and I want you to watch the hearing. I want you to listen to those promises made by those indignant members of Congress, and not one damn promise has been kept. And so now in 2011, we have a guy who went to terror training camp in the United States seeking to go to flight school. 
We have a guy from Bangladesh, a country associated with terrorism, entering the United States on a false passport, being stopped by the inspectors. He admits it's not his passport, and they let him stroll out of the airport. He was in America. He could have gone anywhere. And then he applies for an immigration benefit under another false name, gets two orders of deportation filed against him, but we still give him United States citizenship. So you're going to trust that broken, dysfunctional, screwed-up disaster of a division of the Department of Homeland Surrender to process we don't know how many illegal aliens who snuck into the country and can be as old as 36 years of age, but all they have to do is claim that they came here before they were 16. My goodness gracious. You want to vet people who want guns? Me too. How about vetting aliens who have no right to be in the United States in the first place? Is that too damn much to ask for? How many more dead bodies do we have to see? How many more San Bernardinos? How many Boston Marathons? How many 9-11s? How many 9-11s? It just leaves me utterly furious. It leaves me in a state of white-hot rage. If I sound like I'm pissed, it's because I am pissed. Because the more I look at this, and I look at my own article, and I look at the words on that page, the more my brain lights up tilt. But nobody is talking about it. But we are asking 16-year-old kids how they think the adults who are children in their own right should keep them safe. God help us. This is a disaster. This is a disaster. We have a president who promised no more amnesties. We have a president who in his executive order said that no groups of aliens should be exempt. Deportation if they're here illegally. DACA is a huge carve-out. And I don't know if the president was doing a political equation, because today when he was at CPAC, he talked about how neither Nancy Pelosi nor Chuck Schumer wants to talk about DACA anymore. I don't care. I want every politician to be made accountable. I want them to acknowledge that they know that the same inept system that I've just described to you, that naturalized 148 aliens, gave them U.S. citizenship, the keys to the kingdom, two passports on which to travel. Think of that statement from the 9-11 Commission about how a passport in the hands of a terrorist is a weapon. Think about it. You give someone a U.S. passport, you facilitate their travel around the world. There's more articles I've written about it. I can go on forever about how many of these cases there are. And we're going to take that inept bureaucracy and tell them that they are going to have to process unknown millions of illegal aliens who entered surreptitiously, like the 9-11 Commission said, by circumventing the inspections process. What could possibly go wrong? I'm sickened at the thought of what happened in that school. I'm sickened of the thought of all the needless, senseless, tragic loss of life that was preventable. If the Clinton administration had learned the lessons of the 93 terror attacks at the CIA and the first Trade Center bombing, 9-11 couldn't have happened. Immigration is such a sacred cow for both political parties that they play games. They play games because they are determined to flood America with cheap foreign labor to drive down the wages of American citizens. This is a level of disloyalty and betrayal that you would not expect of the United States, but some third world countries. We, the people, must, must hold every one of these politicians, and I don't care if there's an R or D after their name, accountable. But please, folks. Our adversaries aren't our fellow Americans. They are our allies, if only we can win them over. That's the takeaway for you this evening. Let's stop fighting among ourselves and focus on the real problem. And the real problem is that we have a bunch of people in politics who are anything but on our side. And this must stop. The stakes are way too great. And only we, the people, can make that happen. And that, of course, is why I always like to end my programs by reminding you that democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope you all have a great weekend. Get involved, folks. Please check out my articles. If you like them, forward the information to as much of, many of your friends as possible uh, and get them motivated. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.